So it's nice to see everyone tonight. Um, the Dharma talk is entitled Living with a Courageous Heart. And I was just reflecting on, um, you know, why this kind of, why I chose to speak on this this week. Um, and I realized that both in my own life and in a lot of people I know right now, there's um, scary stuff arising. I think I mentioned that my dad went through surgery recently, and that was really quite frightening. And I have a number of friends that are in different ways, whether it's somebody sick in their life or a divorce or just different life circumstances, um, having to find a way to, to face that and let that to be the path. So it's in that spirit that I'll share some reflections and talk a bit about, about this. And to begin by um, having us reflect, because it seems that we're very habitual in terms of the stresses of the day. If we check out what's going on in our bodies or minds at any juncture of the day where any stress seems to face us, whether it's um, a demand, a work demand, a deadline, that we're in traffic, our bodies, before we even know it, tighten up, and our minds start speeding up, and our hearts contract, or else they really numb out. This has been called the body of fear, and I, my sense is that's a very apt description, this, this body of fear that sometimes is very subtle where our being, our awareness, rather than being open and inclusive, has tightened, 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 and we're just busily planning how we're going to move through. And that's how it is. It's kind of how to get through the day, which is a sad comment. If we honestly investigate the root of any difficult experience, we'll find fear. We'll find this sense of that we're approaching life like it's an adversary. On some level, like we're having to meet up with something difficult that's dangerous and at best unpredictable. So we resist. I was even watching how I was moving through the heat these last couple of days because I noticed at first um, every time I felt the blanket of hot, there's this place in me that was just grumbling. I was like, oh, <laughs> and, and kind of sweating and really being dramatic about it. And then I realized that was happening. And I just decided, okay, heat meditation. <laughs> just sitting, just feeling it. Okay, hot, sweating, nauseous, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever. But just being with moment moment experience in that. And it was, it was just revealing to see what a kind of habitual reflex to have this kind of complaint in my system. I mean, it's just weather. So this body of fear, one teacher described it as if we're entering this earth wearing a spacesuit. And I think this is good because this body of fear, this spacesuit, is to help us navigate through difficulties, to get more of what we want and to avoid what we don't want and to deal with difficult atmosphere. It's fight or flight, you know? That's what this spacesuit does. And it's basically to avoid direct contact. It's kind of a covering, an armor, to avoid direct contact with the elements the presumption, life's too much. That we go through our day and whether the stresses are huge ones like someone we love could die are the little ones like we are going to be late for something. There's this sense that we need a buffer so we don't have to feel the enormity of what we're feeling inside. What ends up happening? There's not so many moments that we put down this spacesuit, that we relax this body of fear and directly relate to the sensations, the sounds, to our breath, to each other. The problem is not that a spacesuit or body of fear emerges, 
it's that we become identified with it. Our whole life becomes organized around those doings. So it's our habit to buffer ourselves. I was talking about this with a a friend a few days ago who called me and was describing some things in the newspaper and how her habit, because it was all so much, it was so hard to really open and feel what it meant, the realness of the people suffering. She was describing how it's just impossible not to kind of look at it like it was a story. So we were talking about that and then she ended up sending me this, emailing me this. These are um, best verified newspaper headlines of the year. Something went wrong in jet crash, experts say. (laughs) Police begin campaign to run down jaywalkers. (laughs) Prostitutes appeal to Pope. Plane too close to ground, crash probe told. (laughs) Astronaut takes blame for gas in space. (laughs) I like this one. Man struck by lightning faces battery charge. (laughs) I'll give you one more. Typhoon rips through cemetery, hundreds dead. Probably each one here knows what it's like to kind of cognitively register huge, enormous suffering. Like we laugh about a, a jet crash headline, and yet we know that it's, it's just really hard to get it, to really register uh, what it means, what it means when people are suffering. So we, we have to wear this spacesuit we feel. And then the question we're going to approach is how much do we really have to? And how do we learn to let go some and let this world in? But first to acknowledge that all life forms, by the nature of being life forms, have this fight or flight response, have a body of fear. All life forms are wired to register where threats are and to contract and to defend. It's really interesting that when sensory experience is registered in our body-minds, it first is registered in the emotional centers of our brain, the amygdala, and then the cerebral cortex. In other words, we make meaning, cognitive meaning, after our body has already registered its fight-or-flight response. So it's our basic part of our wiring to fear and to contract. We sometimes think that it's there's something wrong with us when we feel fear. In fact, we almost always do. When fear arises in our body, we think there's something wrong with me. We think it's in some way something's missing or defective. I like this quote from Scott Peck. He writes, the absence of fear is not courage, but some kind of brain damage. So, fear is a basic survival system. It's a painful feeling in the body. And it becomes suffering if we get identified and organized around it. If rather than just recognizing, oh, fear, and feeling it and being with it, we do whatever we can to run away from it, to contract against it, to try to get rid of it, to numb, to control things. What happens? It turns from fear to suffering. This is Kafka. You can hold back from the suffering, from the pain and fear. You have free permission to do so, and it is in accordance with your nature. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could have avoided. Now this is really the kind of core message that the Buddha was teaching 2,500 years ago, that we have this conditioning to hold back from life, 
And it's not that we're bad, it's not that we're wrong, but it's our capacity to realize that and to cultivate a sense of presence. It's our capacity to realize we're holding back and let go of resistance and let life in. And so that's what I'd like to explore a little more fully tonight, which is how when we realize that this body of fear is doing its thing, we realize we're tight, we realize our thoughts are racing, we realize that we've defended against each other and the life around us, how do we recognize that and relax the grip a little and let life in? Now here is a classic story. Once there was a man who got so upset by the sight of his own shadow and was so unhappy with his own footsteps that he tried to run from both. But each time his foot hit the ground, he realized he was still taking a step. Equally disturbing, he saw that his shadow never once fell behind. Not about to give up, he ran faster, 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 until finally he dropped dead. What he never grasped was that by stepping into the shade, his shadow would vanish. By simply sitting down, there would be no more footsteps. Like the man in the story, we're afraid of what lurks in the shadow. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of our imperfections. We're afraid of our mortality. And so what we do from this fear is we try to get away from it. We keep running. And we're aware that running hurts us. We're aware that when we get caught in our addictions and our avoidant behavior, when we armor our heart, when we get intellectual, we kind of know. We know that we're uh, kind of in our, in our strategy for avoiding things. But we do it anyway. It's such a deeply grooved habit. We run daily. Each of us is trapped in reactivity. I can, at the end of any day, just look back and and see huge swaths of time where I was kind of in some trance where I thought I was there, but I was actually kind of trying to be busy and feel good about myself and just lost, not really present. Real safety, the real refuge, lies in our willingness to not run away from ourselves. That is the refuge, to not run away, to stay, to just show up for this moment. And there's a wonderful question that you can ask yourself that can bring that right back here, which is, how can I belong to this moment? If you see you're running, how can I belong to this moment? This is the essence of meditation. We're kind of in training to realize how this body of fear is doing its thing, sense our muscles tightening, sense that we're pushing away life, that we're lost in these ideas and concepts, and then have that willingness to come back, to stop running, to rest in what's true. It's also the motif in the mythology of the Buddha that He too ran. I mean, it's a given. We're all running. We're all trying to protect and defend and grasp and so on. And he spent a number of years practicing austerities, a kind of a striving towards spiritual accomplishment. And then, this is the centerpiece of the Buddha story, he stopped running. He stopped doing. He sat down under the tree of enlightenment, the Bodhi tree. So it's our practice. It's really a practice of just stopping the doings and being with what is. There's an irony that frequently people will turn to meditation um, as a way to reduce tension and stress and as a way to find peace without realizing that in the long run, 
while it does do that, uh, the training itself is one of touching whatever's there. So for many people, there's kind of a surprise of sitting down and expecting to find some calmness and really getting in touch with the agitation that they'd been running from. And then the learning or awakening is that by relating wisely to that, there's a deeper peace than could have been imagined. But it's not by getting rid of it. Any true journey of awakening, of opening, is going to take us to the boundaries of what are familiar. It's kind of like getting in this small boat and setting out to sea on this kind of exploration or adventure to realize who we really are and having all the fears that we're going to fall off the end of the earth or the fears of what weather systems might um, stir up the seas or how we might get becalmed and lose all our steam and everything possible that can arise that's in our psyche, all the fears and hopes and sadnesses and excitements and longings, that's what we our game to connect with, that we're willing to touch if we're sitting down and meditating. So in a way, I I look at it like it takes enormous courage to even be willing to sit down a little and be with ourselves. Now there certainly are ways of uh, what we call meditating where we're just trying to aim the mind elsewhere and go into a trance. But that's not the kind of meditation I'm talking about. I'm talking about a mindfulness practice that's commitment is presence with what's real. Any genuine commitment to that will lead us to the edges of what we've been accepting. We all design our lives to be as comfortable as we can. I mean, it's part of our wiring. We try to make our worlds safe and predictable, and we try to um, avoid things from changing because most of us don't want change. We hold on tight to how it is. We have a million arguments on why that's good. We try to keep certain people in our life and certain people out and certain feelings there in us and avoid other feelings. We try to keep the air conditioning on when it goes over 100, you know? So we all are doing that to some degree, trying to make our lives comfortable. And yet, because there are shadow parts of the psyche that have been pushed away, it's part of the exploration to go to that edge and begin to include what we've been excluding or keeping out. Fear signals the boundary to what's acceptable. And as one teacher, I think it was Joseph Goldstein said in one of the first retreats I was at, that to the extent that there's a boundary of what's acceptable, we're not free. Do you understand that? If there's a boundary and outside that boundary is the realm of unacceptable, we're not free because we're always avoiding, contracting against, resisting a part of life. One way of understanding spiritual life is to relax that boundary, kind of play the edge and keep opening to the places that we have been habitually avoiding. Jack Cornfield describes fear when we're hitting that edge like this little light bulb that goes off and says in our minds, about to grow, <laughs> about to grow. It takes a lot of energy to keep pushing away the unacceptable, pushing away our feelings of vulnerability, our loneliness. Loneliness is a big one. We do a lot not to feel it, to push away intimacy, to push away change. Everything is changing, and yet we try so hard to nail it all down. So staying put, facing fear, 
is really the only chance we have to become intimate with this life and to really touch freedom. Yet it's really hard to do it. It's all our wiring not to. So let me ask you to reflect on something, if you will. Just take a few deep breaths and close your eyes, if you will. Our habit is to avoid what's dangerous or risky or scary, but each of us has had times where we haven't done that, where we've been courageous. So I'd like to ask you to reflect on something in your life that you consider courageous that you've done. It might be an internal way of facing things or a behavioral way. some experience of your life where you felt that you were courageous. Including, as you reflect, what you were facing, what you had to face and deal with, and the fear or the insecurity that might have brought up. What made it possible for you to be courageous in this instance? What motivated you? What allowed you to face your life? To stop running? You can keep considering this, but please open your eyes, if you will. And just to invite anyone that uh, might have connected with that, what you noticed, what let you be courageous? What was it? Anyone? Seeing the larger picture than the actual situation. Okay. Overwhelming desire to, to heal. Overwhelming desire to heal. Nice. Okay. Yeah. No other choice. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the courage comes because we're there and there seems to be no other choice but to just stay present. Yeah. The awareness of suffering, that um, to not stay present creates more suffering. Mm-hmm. Please. The will to survive. The will to survive. Nice, these are good. Yeah. So for you, the habit was to remove, dissociate, step out of your body, but for whatever reason you had the courage to come back in and experience more directly? Yeah. Okay. This is not, we're not to judge so much, it's just what, what you noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. Just a second, there's one right here. Yeah. that what made it possible for you to be courageous was a sense of connectedness with the divine. Thank you, Tony. Yeah. So, back there? Yeah, uh, that was a fresh, but I was in a real thousand days. 
Mm. The network of community, of sangha. And in a way, both what you just said and what Tony said, both this sense of a connectedness with something more than your ego self. And yeah, beautiful. Anything else? Please. Mm, a sense of readiness, the kind of a confidence that you could go ahead and do it. We, we could, um, there's a lot. And what's really wonderful is these are all different dimensions of what allows us to meditate. What allows, what allows us, and this is the question, to face life directly. If we're so wired to leave. And what so many said or pointed to was that in some way it was compelling that you wanted to. There's a longing there, a longing to be with it fully, a sense of the connectedness that made it possible, a sense of the bigger picture, which is really that, that sense of that it's held in something larger. It's possible to do. It takes courage to meditate and every moment that we actually stay present with what's happening, it cultivates that courage. It reinforces the sense of the big picture, or the connection with the divine, our sense of our connectedness with each other. You know, the word courage comes from uh, several words having to do with greatness of heart. Greatness of heart. That our longing, our heart's longing to be free, to know truth, to feel love more fully, will end up inspiring us to be courageous, will bring us to meditation, and will have us go beyond our habitual way. Now, as we know, because our conditioning is strong, we need to intentionally cultivate those qualities of heart and cultivate this capacity to relax the body of fear. So let's explore how when we're in the grip, when you're facing the big stressors, how do we begin to tap into the courage, tap into the understandings that were just brought up so beautifully here? And I find it instructive to sense, well, if I was relating to a frightened child, if you're, and just to consider this, if you're with a child that's very, very afraid, how would you relate to that child? How would you relate? Anyone? What are, just, you can just say out words. Go ahead. Kindness. I'm sorry? Protectiveness. Patience. Honoring. Allowing, soothing, love. It's a question to ask yourself. If you really imagine this vulnerability within you as deserving of these qualities of attention, how to relate? Because when we're in the middle of fear, we usually lock into something's wrong with me. And we get kind of hard-hearted towards ourselves. The way that many of us were brought up was that when we got frightened, in a way we got penalized for it. We were put down for it, or punished for it. Or else, for some of us, our fears were fed. We were told what a dangerous world this is. A lot of us, you know, be careful. You know, something's going to go wrong any moment. You'll get hurt if you try to do that. People will hurt you. You can't trust anyone. And then, for many, our fears were negated. We were told, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. You don't really feel that. (laughs) And if we were sad or grieving or whatever, they were disregarded. And then we grow up. And you grow up with this kind of sense of not really knowing what you feel, are sensing it but denying it. Somebody sent me this story. 
this is a, a woman that um, struggling with a fear of loss of mental capacity and for a lot of years she didn't she felt like it was happening but she didn't want to admit it to anybody but now she and a lot of her peer group are um, passing around stories about loss of mental capacity and this was one of their stories three older ladies were discussing the travails of getting older one said sometimes I catch myself with a jar of mayonnaise in my hand in front of the refrigerator and can't remember whether I need to put it away or start making a sandwich the second lady chimed in yes yeah, sometimes I find myself on the landing of the stairs and can't remember whether I was on my way up or on my way down the third one responded well I'm glad I don't have that problem knock on wood as she wrapped her knuckles on the table, then she told them, that must be the door, I'll go get it. <laughs> that was her example of denial. <laughs> so there's several messages we get around fear, and then what we end up doing is that's how we treat our own fearful inner self. Down for feeling afraid deny that there's a good reason to say no there's no good reason I shouldn't be feeling this are we feed it yep things are really all going to crash around me in a moment you know so we rather than what you just described soothing comforting protective present we end up either feeding or denying fear so what is this most kind of uh, enlightened response to fear. How do we discover that kind and wakeful presence when we're in the grip? We start with recognizing that it's happening. Being, really developing this sensor where there's a place in us that as the body of fear becomes... The body of fear is almost always there unless we're quite free, but it tightens, it contracts, it gets more consolidated having this place in our awareness that starts recognizing when our heart's getting harder or number and our body's getting tighter and our mind's getting busier. It helps to name it. Fear is one of the good ones to name. Fear, fear. The little ones, the big ones. What we'll be doing um, as we close tonight is a meditation on fear. So I'd like to invite you to reflect for a moment. You might not be aware of the subtle times your body of fear comes together, but reflect on a place in your life where you'd like to have more courage, where you are aware of getting caught inside fear. For some, it's situations where you might be rejected or abandoned, seen as stupid. For some, it's a situation where you're afraid of failing or making mistakes. For some, the fears around our bodies going, getting sick or gaining weight. For some, it's around money. For some, it's around senility. For some, the suffering, fear of suffering of our children. Choose, if you will, a place in your life where you know the body of fear contracts and imprisons you. Your awareness becomes very caught or identified. A place you'd like to have more freedom, more courage. And as a way of establishing a relationship with this place of tightness, we begin by just acknowledging it, in some way just bowing to it, just respect, okay, this. And as we finish tonight and go through these different kind of steps, you can keep coming back to this place and, and sensing how you can relate to it. If you want to, um, you can open your eyes, but just to first say that 
um, because we're often taught that it's bad for us to be afraid or something's wrong with us if we're afraid, we don't often acknowledge just how real it feels. Now that doesn't mean the story about the fear is real. It doesn't mean that in fact we are going to fail, that our story is accurate. But the feelings, the fear of failure, the fear of being unworthy and rejected, the fear of loneliness, the fear of what will happen if people see who we are, that fear feels very real. I had a client some years ago that had a very great fear of any attractive women. I mean, he just, he went through life and when he found a woman very attractive, he got very scared and couldn't act like who he was. He felt like he just contracted. And it took him months to even say that out loud because he thought it was such a stupid and an ungrounded kind of fear to have in this world. And it was really amazing that the most liberating part of therapy for him was simply coming to terms with the fact that this fear was a real and painful experience in his body-mind. That the fear was real. And as he said, okay, and he kind of bowed to it, he said, okay, this is real, this fear is there. He was able to start working with it. The first step to kind of letting these fears, this body of fear, unwind itself is to acknowledge its presence. There's a quality of respect and acceptance. It's not like accepting fear means that you're accepting that you're always going to be fearful. It's just that this moment, there's the ache, squeeze, tightness of fear. So we begin with that. And again, just to notice where your body of fear gets tightened around a particular situation. And just let yourself acknowledge the realness in a respectful way. One Zen master put it, when asked how he related with fear, I agree, I agree. It's like saying, okay, this is here. Once we have acknowledged the realness of this moment's feeling of fear, we then, as the Buddha did, pause stop running, and face the fullness of it. This is the meditation of sitting down in the shade, being receptive to the unknown, the discomfort. Now this isn't easy. This is where we actually have to train ourselves because there's so many parts of our life that we're, we've got such a studied way of acting quickly, reacting, judging, that for us to stop and really feel in that pause, really connect with our experience is difficult. This is Pema Chodron. When we protect ourselves so we won't feel pain, that protection becomes like armor like armor that imprisons the softness of the heart. We do everything we can think of not to feel anything threatening. We try to prolong feeling good about ourselves. When we breathe in pain, when we breathe in fear, somehow it penetrates that armor. The way we guard ourselves is getting softened up. This heavy, rusty, creaking armor begins to seem not so monolithic after all. With the in-breath, the armor begins to fall apart, and we find we can breathe deeply and relax. A kindness and tenderness begin to emerge. We don't have to tense up as if our whole life were being spent in the dentist's chair. When we breathe out relief and spaciousness, we are also encouraging the armor to dissolve. 
The out-breath is a metaphor for opening our whole being. So this natural breathing in life, feeling what's there, breathing out, making space, is our way of pausing and relating directly to what's here. Now, what that means for most of us is that we have to let go of the busyness of our mind. And that in itself is a training. It's our biggest form of armor. The more we stay lost in planning thoughts and worry thoughts, the less we are asked to actually feel what's happening. We use our thinking as a defense against the intensity, the vibrance of the elements. So usually to do this breathing in and feeling fully, breathing out, making room, we first have to realize all the stories that are going on and just relax the grip of them some. Okay, thinking, thinking, stories, stories. And then just feel into our body. You can do it again and again, even this moment, just sense whatever ideas are in the mind. Just note, thinking, ideas, stories. And then again, sit down into the body, breathing in, receiving this life fully, whether it's pain or fear, our interest, our sleepiness, our numbness, just feeling exactly what's real. This is sitting in the shade. This is how we stop running. And then we breathe out and sense the space it's all happening in. Letting it float, letting it be there. Let me share a story with you. This was a teacher from India that described his experiences with fear, and I thought it was a wonderful description. He said he was determined to get rid of his negative emotions, and this was in the 60s that he started practicing. He struggled against anger and lust. He struggled against laziness and pride, but mostly he wanted to get rid of his fear. Now his meditation teacher kept telling him, stop struggling, stop struggling, just let it be. But he just took that as another way of explaining how to overcome his obstacles and kept on trying to get rid of fear. Finally, his teacher sent him off to uh, meditate in a tiny hut in the foothills of the mountains. And he shut the door and settled down to practice. And when it got dark, he lit three candles. Around midnight, He heard a noise in the corner of the room, and in the darkness he saw a very large snake. It looked to him like a king cobra, and it was right in front of him, swaying. So all night he stayed totally alert, keeping his eyes on the snake. He was so afraid he couldn't move. There was just the snake and himself and the fear. And then there was just fear and fear and fear. Just before dawn, the last candle went out, and then he began to cry. And he cried not in despair, but from tenderness. He felt the longing of all the animals and people in the world. He knew their alienation and their struggle and their fear. All his meditation thus far had been nothing but further separation and struggle trying to get rid of parts of life. Now he accepted, really accepted wholeheartedly, that he was angry and jealous, that he resisted and struggled, and that he was afraid. He accepted fear. He also accepted that he was precious beyond measure, wise and foolish, rich and poor, and totally unfathomable. He felt so much gratitude that in the total darkness he stood up, walked toward the snake, and bowed. Then he fell sound asleep on the floor. When he awoke, the snake was gone. He never knew if it was his imagination or if it had really been there, and it didn't seem to matter. As he put it at the end of this talk, describing his experience with fear, 
that that much intimacy with the real experience of fear caused his dramas to collapse, his sense of separation from the world to collapse. Finally, he was able to connect directly with life, to belong fully to his life. I love that story because as um, is so true in the Buddhist teachings, the very arising of what's difficult is also the ground of our freedom. That by facing fully the intensity of fear, by really allowing ourselves to belong to fear, we end up belonging fully to life. By facing death, we awaken to live our moments completely. And this belonging is the antidote, in a sense. The deepest fear is one of severed belonging. The deepest fear is of disconnection. So whatever allows us to begin to establish a connection with life gives us room in our hearts for fear. One way is, as I've been describing, to connect directly with the experience itself. There are other ways, though, of also cultivating the heart so we feel a sense of belonging and we have room for fear. In fact, the Buddha, his first um, teaching in response to fear was a loving-kindness meditation. He told the monks that surrounded him at that time, this was his quote, our fear is great, but greater yet is the truth of our connectedness. So beautiful. Our fear is great, but greater yet is the truth of our connectedness. This is one of the lines from the scriptures that many people know and that becomes more and more real as we live our moments, that we see these weather systems of fear, this body of fear contracting, but discover more and more that what's most true and real is a sense of belonging to the world that allows us to have room for fear. So this is the refuge that the Buddha talked about. If we're lost in fear, to find what we belong to. We find it through mindfulness by relating directly to the experience of fear. We find it as we cultivate the heart with practices like loving kindness. Any moment that we extend care to another being or to a part of ourself reestablishes a sense of connectedness even if we're doing it mechanically, even if it's mechanical, just the fact that we had an intention to try comes from a part of our heart that cares. Any extension of care reestablishes connectedness. In a moment of fear, if we just bring to mind what we most deeply cherish, just bring that to mind, and just feel even a little bit of the warmth of caring, we're on that pathway back into belonging, back into a sense of wholeness where we can include fear but not be driven by it. That is the meaning of courage, that greatness of heart. Let's take a moment. What we'll do is work a little bit with the fears you've identified, bringing this meditation practice to hold that. Begin by just establishing the presence that comes from feeling our bodies and feeling our breath.
and sense what area of fear, what is asking for attention in your life. What the circumstances are that bring up fear. Picking one area. And some will be able to evoke the realness of the feeling of fear more than others, not to worry, but just to include an awareness as well as possible where it is you'd like to have more courage. Let the situation be as real as, as you can. Visually seeing the circumstances if that's possible. If there's others involved, seeing who's there. Sensing what's most difficult. And feeling what that's like in your heart. And when you feel like you've connected with what brings up the body of fear, Just letting go of the story and just feel what's there. Very present. Feel where the fear lives. So that as you breathe in, there's a willingness to feel what has been avoided. Agreeing to feel what's there. Regardless of what you're feeling right now, let the in-breath be one of touching what's real. Fear, numbness, tiredness, happiness, whatever it is right now. We breathe in and touch what's real. We breathe out and offer it space that bigger picture, that open awareness. Breathe in and connect with what's there. Breathe out and offer space, kindness, care. If it feels like too much to breathe in and feel, sense that all of nature and all of the loving energies of the universe are there to help receive it. Breathing in, there's room for this. Breathing out, offering care. The Dalai Lama told one very frightened man that if he couldn't hold his own fear, just sense he was held in the heart of the Buddha, the lap of the Buddha. Let this fear be held by the beloved, breathing in, feeling fully, knowing there's room. Breathing out, offering care, space. Establishing an intimacy, a realness, with what's true inside you. Rather than running, we sit in the shade of this tree of enlightenment, this wakeful, caring presence. Now bringing to mind someone in your life that you know struggles with something that scares them, that contracts them. Everyone that we know struggles with fear, but bringing to mind one person who's dear to you so that you can breathe in on their behalf Breathe in and sense the fear, the struggle, the pain. 
breathing out and offering them your prayer, your compassion. Letting others come to mind. Continuing to breathe and feel that as you breathe in, you breathe in the fear, you breathe in what has been resisted. And you breathe out offering kindness for the benefit of others. including in your awareness now the sense of all those that have gathered here, that each one carries their share of fear. Each one wants to be happy and free, so that you breathe in and sense that you're breathing in for each of us. And if, as you do, you bring to mind faces and a sense of some of the people here, that can make it more genuine for you. You might try that. Breathing in. Feel that you're breathing in for all of us, including the parts of the shadow, the difficulties. Breathing out and offering that space and that care that is the freedom of our courageous heart. The only thing great enough to awaken through fear is the power of the heart. Our fear is great, but greater yet is our connectedness. So we close chanting Om again as we did when we open. Feel free to let your voices mingle and harmonize and we'll chant six rounds. Please inhale deeply.
May our attention and our prayers be of benefit to all beings. May all beings awaken. May all beings be free. So I'd like to thank you for your Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.